Welcome back to our study of Leviticus. You've heard me say over and over again now, this is probably the most ignored book of the Bible, but just might be the most important book of the Bible, or at least one of them, because the reality is Leviticus is quoted over and over again by Jesus and the apostles. That means so much of the New Testament doctrine that we believe as Christians is founded right here in the book of Leviticus. It's crucial we understand it. So we're doing an exciting study right now. We're, we're kind of in the heart of the study of Leviticus. It's a study right now on the priesthood. And remember, we studied the five sacrifices or offerings of the ancient Hebrews, a picture of Jesus. Now we're studying the priesthood of the ancient Hebrews, Aaron being a picture of our Lord Jesus, our high priest. And of course, his son's a picture of you and me. We're not the high priest, but we are priests of God in a New Testament sense, 1 Peter 2.5, 1 Peter 2.9. And we minister as priests of God before our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to Leviticus 13, we're going to find one of the most important and crucial aspects of a priestly ministry in ancient days as an ancient Hebrew and how it corresponds to you and I as New Testament priests fulfilling that New Testament office as priests. And so remember kind of where we've been recently in our study as we get ready to study leprosy. We're going to study leprosy beginning with this lesson. What we're going to see is we study leprosy, this disease of ancient days. What we're really studying really is simply a doctrine on sin. It's a study of sin, the disease of the human race. Now, it's hard for us to fathom uh, living in modern times when so many of these ancient diseases have really been overcome by modern medicine, just the fear that leprosy would strike in the heart of an ancient person living in the ancient world. Leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases of the ancient days. Uh, to put it on a level maybe that we can kind of correspond to today would be, uh, if, if I were to say AIDS, think about the, the emotion that the, the idea of AIDS strikes in modern man. AIDS would be uh, in some way maybe uh, a parallel to what leprosy was in the ancient world. I mean, it was uh, a disease where there was no known cure. It was a disease that was absolutely a death sentence. It would eventually kill its victim. The only difference really between AIDS and leprosy is leprosy was far, far more contagious in the ancient world and much more of a threat to uh, any society or community of the ancient days. Now remember, kind of where we've been. Chapter 11, we learned the difference between clean and unclean animals. As priests, God is teaching us how to discern not just between clean and unclean animals, because according to what Peter said in Acts chapter 10, the vision God gave Peter, God has now cleansed all animals. It was never really about just the dietary laws of the ancient Hebrews. God was teaching them how to discern between the clean and unclean spiritually, uh, the holy and the unholy. And then in chapter 12, uh, we studied the transmission of sin. How is sin transmitted from men to the next generation? We learned that we need a new birth because sin is transmitted in our first birth. And that is why Jesus said in John 3, you need a second birth, you need a new birth, because uh, we're born the first time, 1 Peter 1.23, of corruptible seed. We must be born again, 1 Peter 1.23, of incorruptible seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever. Now, chapters 13 and 14 is a study on leprosy. And I'm going to tell you, it's far more than merely a study on this ancient disease physically that really is no longer that much of a threat to humanity. What we're really dealing here now with is a study 
on sin because it's a picture of sin. So many shadows and word pictures in Leviticus to teach us. Remember, God always teaches us something we can't see by giving us something we can see. So he's going to use this disease to teach us about the nature of sin that dwells within us. Each time a leper, remember, was cleansed in the New Testament, and there's several records in the New Testament Gospels of Jesus cleansing lepers. And did you know, every time Jesus cleansed a leper, it was a picture of his work in our life as he cleanses us of sin. In fact, every time Jesus did a miracle in terms of uh, healing the sick or healing the lame or making the blind to see or uh, cleansing the leper. In some way, it was a picture of what he would do for you and me, not physically necessarily, but absolutely spiritually, how he would make the blind to see. And that's what he's done in our lives. I once was blind, but now I see how he has made the lame to walk again, how I was born uh, in, in a complete state of being uh, lame and crippled spiritually, yet Jesus has made us whole and healthy. And of course, over and over again, he would cleanse the leper, and that was a picture of the cleansing work of Calvary for you and me as he cleansed us of our sin. Let's pick it up here. Leviticus 13, beginning in verse 1, says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day and indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should be all spread over the skin, after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And so one might look at this historically and just say, well, practically what's going on? From a practical and historical perspective, God is setting up parameters to protect his people from one of the most deadly and contagious diseases of the ancient world. As I said, leprosy uh, struck fear in the heart of the bravest of men, uh, men that could courageously go into battle. I mean, the idea of being a leper was, um, was one of the things people would have dreaded and feared the most in the ancient world. And you can imagine with the contagious nature of this disease, why, from a practical and historical standpoint, God was charging the priests, the leaders of Israel, with protecting the people, the entire camp, the community, from an outbreak of this disease that, quite frankly, could have wiped out entire families, could have wiped out uh, entire communities. And so practically and historically, that's what's going on here. They would take no chances uh, with this disease. And so if somebody uh, was seen to have a scab of some type, and it was a whitish scab in nature, they would be taken to the priest. He would examine them medically for evidence of, uh, of leprosy. Uh, and if he wasn't sure immediately, he'd quarantine them then for seven days, and then come back on the seventh day, examine them again. And so God was charging the spiritual leaders uh, with the health of the entire camp, the body of Israel. But as you can imagine, as we've learned already in Leviticus, so much more is going on here than just the practical and historical concept of protecting and quarantining people uh, from the outbreak of this dreaded disease. There's so many parallels between leprosy and sin. I want you to see the parallels. God is painting through a word picture here, something he wants us to learn about the nature of sin in our own life. Understand, leprosy begins with just a speck on the skin, just begins with a little scab, just a little place on the skin, and then gradually it would take over the entire body. And would you agree that's how sin begins in our life? 
hey, nobody wakes up one day and thinks to themselves, you know, today I think I'm going to go commit adultery. Yeah, that's the sin I've never committed. I've done all the rest. I'm going to go try this one next. I'm going to blow up my family. I'm going to blow up my children. I'm going to blow up my church. Nobody thinks in those terms, do they? It doesn't begin with a big sin. It just begins with a little sin, just a little speck of sin uh, that goes unaddressed, unchecked. And that's how leprosy would begin. Nobody would wake up one day with leprosy from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. Just begin with a little scab, just a little speck. And guys, that is how sin begins in our life. Sin that begins as a little speck that then goes unchecked. It is guaranteed to grow slowly, sometimes subtly, but eventually it will take over our entire person, our entire body. And that's the nature of leprosy. Now, there's more. Uh, sin, sin begins, it starts small, but eventually it will take over our entire life. Uh, it may take a year, two years, 10 years, might take 20 years. But eventually the wages of sin is always death, Romans 6, 23. And that was the nature of leprosy in the ancient world. It wasn't an immediate death sentence. It was gradual. It was slow. It was subtle. But eventually it always killed its victim. You guys, sometimes we don't take sin seriously enough because uh, we think, well, there's no immediate repercussion to what I've done. It doesn't seem to be hurting me or anybody. Uh, but I want you to see eventually it is always a slow, subtle death. The wages of sin is always death. Yes, death eternally. If you don't know Jesus and have not placed your faith in Calvary, it's death spiritually for all of eternity. But I want you to understand something. Death eventually uh, is the nature of what sin brings, not just eternally, but in the temporal sense. I mean, it's sin that brings death to marriages. Sin brings death to families. Sin brings death to your health. It'll bring death to your wealth. It'll, it'll bring death to all the things you find in life that are joyful. Hey, Jesus said, I come to give you life and have it more abundantly. But guess what he said? There's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Satan uses sin to destroy everything God would rather do in our life and bless us with. Now, the nature of leprosy is, um, is also that it's an attack, and it's attack on the sensory nerves of the body. The leper would eventually lose his ability to feel. Eventually, he would lose all feeling. It's an attack that's not just on the skin on the surface, but it's below the surface and would actually eat away at the nervous system of the body to where eventually over time, the leper would lose his ability to feel. And there's actually recorded cases of lepers waking up in the morning, having gone to sleep at night with their fingers and their thumbs completely gone. They had been gnawed off in the night by rats and they didn't even know it. Now, I'm not trying to gross you out here, but I want you to see the nature of what leprosy would do. Eventually, they couldn't feel with their extremities at all. And rats would come and eat away at this dead skin. And they wouldn't even feel the pain. They wouldn't even know it until the next morning. Guys, that's exactly the nature of sin in our life. Do you understand that when you sin again and again and again and again, eventually... You're searing your conscience that God gave you to sin. God gave us a moral conscience as human beings. It's part of what God gave us when he gave us a soul. The soul is different than the spirit. The spirit is that part of you that lives forever, but the soul has to do with your mind, your will, your emotions, your ability to feel. And it's a part of your moral conscience. This is the, what God gave human beings apart from any other of the created realm where animals are driven purely by instinct and hormones. You and I are more than animals. We're more, more than just hormones in a bag of bones. We have a moral conscience. He's given us a moral compass as the uh, image bearers of the living God to know right from wrong, good and evil. But do you understand that sin eventually will sear your conscience? This is what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7, where he says that some have had their conscience seared as with a hot iron, in other words, they're past feeling. You guys, I personally, in pastoral ministry, I have counseled people privately in my office that have been caught in this years and years of network in this web of sin. And I've had them look at me almost with just this blank expression. The, the eyes are open, but the lights are gone. You know what I've heard people say repeatedly on occasion to me? 
It says, I, I don't feel a thing. I'm numb. I'm past feeling. You see, the first time they clicked on that pornography, there was that rush after the euphoria left, that rush of guilt, that, that, that rush of pain. But eventually they click again and again and again and again. And, and that conviction that God meant for them to have, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that moral conscience of a human being, suddenly uh, it's calloused. It's beyond feeling. It's no different than, you know, you can wear your hands out in a way through work that you have calluses now in your hands. And guess what? Those calluses are meant to protect your hands from pain. But do you realize that those calluses that God puts, uh, uh, those calluses that sin puts on your conscience no longer allows you to feel pain where you ought to feel pain, where you should feel pain? That's what happens when you sin again and again and again and again. Leprosy was always a slow, excruciating death. It always killed its victim, but never killed instantly. This is the nature of sin in our life. It will always bring death. But friends, listen carefully. The fact that God doesn't bring down the gavel instantly doesn't mean that you're the one exception in all of history. Now, what God is giving you is grace, grace to repent. But if you don't repent of sin, it eventually it might take 20 years to get there. But eventually it will always bring death. You, you might live decades with leprosy. You could live for years and years with leprosy. But eventually, it's going to be a slow and excruciating death. And that is always the nature of sin. Sin always brings death, but it's a slow death. Romans 6, 23. Uh, here's the reality. Hebrews eleven twenty five tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. And that is the nature of sin. If it wasn't pleasurable, people wouldn't do it again and again and again. Uh, but while it's pleasurable for a season, listen carefully. Uh, it always is going to end in the same way. The destination is always set. And the destination of sin is always our ruin. It is always our destruction. So we're learning chapters 13 and 14 as we study leprosy in this ancient culture, in this ancient context of how we're really dealing with sin in this present age in which we live. Leprosy, a very graphic illustration of sin and what sin does in our life. Now, lepers, of course, are a picture of the sinner who needs cleansing by the Savior. And that's why several times in the Gospels you have a picture of Jesus cleansing these lepers because God's giving us a picture of that work that he wants to do in our life because we all have this leprosy of sin in our life. We're all lepers by nature, and we all need the healing and the cleansing power of the Son of God upon our life. And so consequently, there are several illustrations in the Gospels of Jesus cleansing lepers. And each time Jesus cleansed the leper, it's a picture of that work spiritually of him cleansing us of our sin. Turn over, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 17. And here's a great example of what I'm talking about. Luke 17, Jesus cleanses not one, but 10 lepers. Look at what it says here. In verse 11, it says in Luke 17, verse 11, Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then he entered a certain village. There he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And of course, they stood afar off because they were quarantined. They were cast out of society. And so they're standing afar off. They see Jesus. His reputation has preceded him. They know who he is. They know this man does miracles. It says, um, and they lifted up their voices in verse 13. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Hey, there is the prayer of a repentant sinner. Oh, that is what is required to be cleansed of our sin. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Of course, exactly as we're learning here in Leviticus 13, a leper in the days of Jesus had to go formally, officially, before the priest, and he was to formally announce that they had been cleansed before they could assimilate back into the community or society. It says in verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus answered and said, Where are, uh, were there not ten cleansed, but where are uh, the, the other nine? Uh, in verse 18 says, Jesus says, uh, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Now I want you to see, it's always curious to me, where were the other nine? I mean, they get cleansed of this death sentence. They have been quarantined from society maybe for decades. Uh, and unfortunately, like so many of us who've been saved and set free by the blood of Calvary, so quickly do we take our salvation for granted, don't we? But this one doesn't. He comes back to glorify God. And I pray that's a picture of you and I, that we, we never get over the fact that we've been healed, we've been cleansed of our leprosy, we've been cleansed of our sin. And he comes back to glorify God. And, and that should be a picture of you and I, how we want to glorify God now with our life after what he's done for you and me. But I want you to see that this is the nature of, of what God wants to do for you and me. Uh, Luke 17, 13 is the cry of that repentant sinner where they cry, Jesus, Master. They recognize He is the one that has the power to set us free. He has the power to cleanse us internally from this disease. And that is the requirement in all of our lives that we recognize that we've got a problem, that we have a disease called sin. And we don't have an answer for it. We can't cleanse ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. That Jesus alone has the power to set us free. So I want you to see now some truths about sin and truths about leprosy. Look at some of the parallels. Now we've seen some of the parallels with leprosy itself and how it is indeed a shadow of our sin. But now I want you to see the priest's responsibility and how that indeed is a shadow of our responsibility as New Testament priests of God. First of all, the priests were the ones who were to guard against an outbreak of leprosy. And we saw that in verses 1 through 7, really verses 1 through 3. Uh, these were the days, of course, where leprosy could spread very quickly through a family, through an entire community, and literally everybody was sentenced to die. And so the priests were given specific responsibility by God. They were to stand guard against an outbreak of a leprosy. And I want you to see as New Testament priests of God, our priestly responsibility is that we're to guard against an outbreak of sin in exactly the same way. We're to guard against an outbreak of sin in our life. Uh, we're to always be doing a self-check, a self-analysis. And here's the reality. Uh, we're to guard against an outbreak of sin in other people's lives. We all have a sphere of influence around us. Every one of us do. Uh, and as New Testament priests, we're to stand guard against that outbreak of sin in our camp, whether it be uh, my small group, whether it be my family, whether it be with my marriage, my children, or uh, my church. Uh, we're to stand guard against this outbreak of sin because sin is always lurking beneath the surface. There's a reference uh, to lepers being cleansed. Listen, this is interesting. But notice in Scripture, uh, while Jesus would heal the lame man, he was known to heal the blind man. Never says he healed the leper. Lepers were cleansed. I think the interesting maybe dichotomy here is the nature of leprosy and how it corresponds to our sin. And what I mean by that is this, though we've been cleansed of our sin, we haven't yet fully been healed of our sin. Now, I know what it says in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed, yes. But understand, while we have been healed, we're still being healed. It's a progressive salvation. What I mean by that is, though we have been delivered from sin's penalty, we've been set free from sin's power, we have been healed in that sense from the disease of humanity, we can never take for granted the fact that I can still sin and I can still fall into any sin and I can still at any moment fall back into sin because I still have that sin nature that lurks within. Now, yes, someday I'm going to have only one nature, the holy nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as long as I'm tied to this flesh, I'm going to have two natures. I have two natures living within. I have God's holy nature now, that divine nature that loves what is righteous. But as long as I'm still tied to this flesh, I still have my sin nature 
that is lurking within. Galatians chapter 5, it tells us the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things you would. In other words, it's constantly a tug of war for control of our life. And what that means is, I've been cleansed of my sin, but I haven't yet been fully healed of my sin. It still lurks within, and I continue to need to guard against an outbreak of sin in my life. When I see a little speck begin to surface, I need to immediately pay attention. I need to quarantine it. Uh, I need to deal with it. I need to let Jesus come back and cleanse me of it, because if I don't, it is guaranteed to once again spread uh, uh, and, and take over potentially my life, my entire body. The priests were to look for two signs of leprosy. Look at verse 3. Look at what they were to look for. It says um, in, in verse 3, the priests, as they came and they were to look as somebody has presented themselves uh, before the priest in the ancient days. And I'm trying to find my place again. Hang on. I'm almost there. In Exodus uh, chapter, I should say Leviticus chapter 13. Back in verse 3, it says this, now look. Uh, it says, The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. So the priest was to look for two things to discern whether this was leprosy or just another kind of sore. First of all, I want you to see that they were to look for a boil, a scab, or a bright spot on the skin, and they were to look for white hair in that boil or that bright spot. That white hair would indicate that this disease was below the surface. And uh, as that white hair uh, would show what was below the surface. Remember, a Hebrew had dark hair. And so if white hair appeared in the sore, what it says is the follicle of this hair, it's not, it's not clean. This follicle has become diseased. It's below the skin. There's something going on beneath the surface. Guys, I'm telling you, that illustrates once again the nature of sin. This, this illustrates a tremendous truth about skin. That, listen, sin is more than skin deep. Sin is something that is beyond just the surface. Sin is what's going on beneath the surface. That's why Proverbs uh, chapter 4 and uh, verse 13 would say, Guard the heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. You see, the real issue is not with the sin. The sin is merely the symptom. We need to get to the source. See, what the priest could see was only the symptom. It's what he could see above the surface. But the real source of the problem is what was beneath the surface. And that's the nature in all of our lives, guys. The, the real issue is not the sin itself. The real issue be lies beneath the surface. The real issue in all of our lives is more than what we can see. It's Jeremiah 17 uh, in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What are we learning? The, 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 the issue of sin is more than just what we do. It's what we are. What we are is the problem. As human beings, we do what we do because we are what we are. If all we ever do is try to overcome the things we do, hey, that's behavior modification. That's self-reformation. What we need, though, is always inner transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, let Jesus make us a new creation because the heart itself is deceitful above all things. And so the nature of the problem is a problem of the human heart. The disease of the human race begins with a disease of the human heart. And that's always been the problem for human beings. The problem for human beings is always a problem of the human heart. And so we're seeing that illustrated here. This nature of leprosy is not merely what you could see above the surface. Uh, leprosy was a sin uh, issue, I, I think, more that it's illustrating beneath the surface. Leprosy is a really strong illustration about what God is trying to teach us about the nature of sin, is that leprosy is the disease of the flesh. And this disease of the flesh is a picture of our sin nature. Remember Romans chapter 7, verse 18. The Apostle Paul said, All that is in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Now here's what's important about that, guys. If you examine the life of the Apostle Paul above the surface, 
you would see no problem, I guarantee. Paul was a godly man. Some would say he was a holy man. This is a man that glorified God with his life. But you know what he's saying? Listen, if you could see what God could see beneath the surface, you wouldn't think I'm godly at all. What he said is, look, above the surface, I look fine. The problem is we're all more than just skin. My problem is something beneath the skin, something beneath the surface. All that is in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. You see, leprosy was a problem with the flesh. Leprosy was a disease of the flesh, and that's the nature of sin. It's a disease of the flesh, and the Bible refers to our flesh as our sin nature. It's what we're born with, that sin nature that is beneath the surface that we all have within. And here's what happens. Eventually, what's beneath the surface, beneath the skin, is something now that rises up above the surface. That is a symptom. Here's the point. Nobody is born a pornographer. People become one. Nobody is born a prostitute. People become prostitutes. Nobody is born an alcoholic or a drug addict. But I want you to see we all have that possibility already born within. All that is within us, that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. And so the nature of sin is that it's always beneath the surface, and it's looking to rise up then, not merely just in what we are, but eventually taking over the things that we do. Now, uh, what were they to do once they suspected leprosy? Look at verse 9. It says this uh, in verse 9. It says, When the leprosore is on a person, then... He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. And the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider, and indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore, it has turned white, he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean, It is leprosy. What is going on here? I want you to see, like leprosy, all sin is a manifestation of a problem with the heart. It's been hidden all along. Look at verse 12. I want you to see how this is illustrated with leprosy here. Uh, In uh, verse 12, it says these words. It says, And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot, Whoever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider, and indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore, it is all turned white. He is clean, but when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. This is a remarkable statement. Incredible. This person has been totally eaten up now with leprosy. They're totally consumed. And this live raw flesh indicates the presence of of old leprosy. In other words, it's been there all along. It's been hidden beneath the surface, but it was actually there all along. And that's the nature of our sin. Uh, It's a problem of the heart that lurks within. And the sin is there all along. might take years to finally uh, sin on the outside, which is simply a reflection of the heart condition on the inside. Jesus talked about this very thing. Matthew chapter, I should say Mark chapter 7, Uh, Look what Jesus says about this in Mark chapter 7. Talk about a perfect illustration of how leprosy is a picture of sin. Look at what Jesus says here in Mark 7 and verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within and defile a man. You see, Jesus was teaching this very thing. Um, Sins you haven't committed yet, listen, they're already in. They're they're already lurking within. Um, There's a lot of sins I've never committed, but that doesn't mean I never could. Because Jesus is teaching 
that it comes from within long before it ever is seen uh, from without. Romans 7, 18, you begin to see why Paul would proclaim, all that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Now look at verse 13, back in Leviticus 13. Then the priest shall consider, and indeed if that leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore, it is all turned white, he is clean. That almost looks like a misprint, doesn't it? Uh, he's to pronounce him clean as if he's completely consumed from top to bottom with leprosy, and the leprosy is now turned white. Somebody who's totally covered, totally eaten up, is declared clean. There's no longer any raw flesh of the leprosy. They're declared clean. Apparently, white flesh indicated uh, that they were no longer contagious. It was the raw flesh that was contagious. And I think what's going on here is Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins be as scarlet, there's the raw flesh, red, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Until you're able to come clean about the fact you're not clean, you can never be announced that you are clean. You see, sin, when it runs its course in somebody's life, eventually covers them from head to foot. Now, why does the priest declare the leper clean when covered from head to foot? Because finally that person realizes the reality of Romans 7, 18, all that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And until you understand that full extent of your sin, you cannot really be cleansed. Isaiah 1, 18 can't be your, your reality. Though your sins be as scarlet, you can be white as snow. Red like crimson, you really can be as wool. Now, this is a really lengthy passage. We don't need to read it all, but we're going to read a little bit, kind of jump around and kind of get down to the end. What you're going to see here is just on a practical level how God is helping the priest discern between a leprous sore and just a common sore, maybe a common burn. And then we're going to get to the end. I want to show you how this is a picture of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. Pick it up with me, let's say, uh, right here in verse 18. It says, If the body develops a boil in the skin and it is healed, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright spot, reddish white, then it shall be shown to the priest. And if when the priest sees it, it indeed appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore which is broken out on the boil. But if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs in it, and it's not deeper than the skin but is faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. And if it should all at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and is not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. So basically, you look down here, verse 24, he's showing him how to discern just from a burn uh, or a sore like a boil from a real leprous sore, just practically speaking, so everybody didn't get quarantined uh, and everybody wasn't declared a leper who wasn't. Then I want you to come down with me kind of toward the end of the chapter because you're going to really see a, a special, beautiful picture, I think, of how Jesus took our sin. He took our leprosy. He became a leper for you and a leper for me to die in our place, to deliver us and cleanse us. Look at what it says here now in verse 45. It says this, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be burned or shall be torn and his head bare. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. You remember how the crowd cried, crucify him, crucify him. Uh, he shall be unclean all the days. He has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And the destiny and the declaration of you are a leper in these ancient days is that you would eventually be cast outside the camp you would die outside the camp. You would remain alone outside the camp. My friends, I want you to see how indeed that is a picture of what Jesus would do for us. He became a leper for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He that was thoroughly clean became unclean for us. And guess where he died? He died outside the camp. He died alone on a cross outside the camp, isolated from the community, having been declared unclean. 
and one who would die uh, like one who had leprosy. And I want you to see uh, the reality of the picture of you and me once again. Look at verse 47. Look what they would do with the leper's garment. Also, if a garment had a leprous plague in it, whether it is a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it is in the warp or wool uh, of linen or wool, whether uh, in leather or in anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest. Look what they were to do with it. Verse 52, he shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague. And they were to take that garment. They weren't to bury it. They weren't just to get rid of it. They were to completely burn it because the reality is this, your sin contaminates everything it touches and their garments would be contaminated by the leprosy and that disease would still be in that garment. And that is, again, the nature of sin. Garments had to be burned that had been contaminated. There's only one way to deal with it. Jude 23, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. And you know what the New Testament teaches? We have a chance as followers of God to change these old garments of sin for the new garments of the righteousness, the new garments that belong to him. And I'm telling you, every single day you have a choice to dress in the rags of a leper. And indeed, they would dress in rags. But you don't have to dress in the rags of sin, the rags of a leper. You can dress in the fine white linen of the Lord Jesus Christ and live a life and pursue a life that is holy like him. Guys, I love you so much. Let's do that work this week of a priest and guard against an outbreak of sin. It up and who can be the first one to find it? So anyway, if we were doing that tonight, I'd be losing. Okay? I'm there now. All right, James chapter 1. So look at what James says about uh, the nature of sin in our lives, all right? Hmm. My pages are sticking. This would not be a good Bible to do the sword drill with. All right. Glasses. She's, Denise is razzing me about them glasses still. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Who's found it? Sword drill. So. So do, do verse, uh, let's see, verse 14 you said? Okay, there it is. Thank you. Uh, let's start in verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, but God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. So where does sin begin? No one can say, the devil made me do it. Guess what James is saying? No one can say, God made me do it. And this is kind of one of those passages I think about when, you know, there's this, this hyper-predestination theology out there that says, really, we have no free will. There's no such thing as free will. And if you take that to its logical, not just theological end, then what that means is, I have no choice when I sin. If I have no free will, well, God made me do it. Guess what James is saying? When you're tempted, let no man say when you're tempted, you're tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted of evil, nor does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when? When he's drawn away of his own desires and enticed. In other words, James is saying that sin begins within. Sin begins, as I said in this uh, lesson on leprosy, uh, it's not simply something above the surface. Leprosy was something that existed below the surface that finally surfaced then where it could be seen. That's the nature of sin. Sin doesn't begin in what you do outwardly. Sin begins in a condition that you carry inwardly. It's what James is saying. Now look at what he says in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now all of a sudden that inward fallen condition has now been done in an outward action. 
Now sin has been born outwardly. It has lived below the surface inwardly. And so now we've given birth to sin. We've committed that sin. It's been birthed outwardly. Now look at what it says. When it is full grown, it brings forth what? Death. So do you see the progression here? See, what James is teaching is it all begins with an inner attitude or an inner action, uh, an inner uh, condition, right? And so uh, if we don't deal with it inwardly, it will eventually surface outwardly. And we're going to act outwardly based on the thought and meditations of our hearts inwardly. And even then it doesn't bring death, not immediately. Not one sin, one time. It says it's been given birth. All of a sudden you give birth to a baby sin. A little baby sin, not a big sin, just a little baby sin. You've given birth. That sin is in its infancy. Uh, it might be just one quick click on pornography, just one, one time. It might be just um, one too many drinks, just one time. Just one time, just one too many drinks, just one time, see? You've given birth to little baby sin. But here's the deal. When you keep feeding little babies, I had three of them. Guess what happens when you keep feeding little babies? They grow up and they get big. I told you this morning, my youngest baby has consumed eight pounds of brisket in the last two days. Now, he didn't do it all by himself, trust me. Or he had a little help along the way. But see, the point is, he was a baby at one time. We fed him. He naturally grew. He got big. And now he consumes more than he used to. You see, that's the nature of sin. Uh, leprosy would begin a little speck below the surface. That little speck eventually that you couldn't see initially, it rises now above the surface, and that little speck unchecked would eventually take over the whole body and bring forth death. So I'd say James 1 right here is a really good illustration of that progression, guys. It may take years and years and years. So I said 20 years for that little sin you birthed, just that little baby, to eventually grow up to become a really, really uncontrollable giant of a sin in your life. At one time you could control it, but now it controls you. And that's the nature of sin. James chapter 1. Yeah. Somebody else? Anybody? Yeah. <clears throat> Are there still places in the world where leprosy exists? So there are, but it's a different form of leprosy now, um, from what I'm told, than what was common in the ancient world. So there are leper colonies in India, for example, and uh, other places in the world like that. Uh, but it's, from what I understand, I can't explain it, don't ask me medically speaking, others I'm certain could, but it's, it's, it's not really the same leprosy of the ancient world that even we have today in our modern world and in more primitive places. It has come back in the U.S. I think it's California. It's come and it's uh, being uh, brought. Leprosy has come back in the U.S. Uh, and they have found it. It's actually carried by armadillos. Armadillos. And I think it's either really? Florida or California. Yeah, it has come back, and it was becoming a big problem. Is it? I yeah. hadn't heard if that. If you Google leprosy in the U.S., I think it's like Florida or yeah, if from coming from so armadillos. So, would it, is it the ancient disease known as leprosy, or is what, it is it our modern? I don't modern... know what type. I just know that yeah. it's coming back, and that they're really well. And kind it's of cured concerned. by armadillos. Who knew? Never would have known. I've never seen an armadillo with leprosy. <laughs> Well, what's interesting about that is, guys, we didn't used to have armadillos in this part of the country. That's right, yeah. And they have progressively made their way north. So I was out in my woods last winter just going for a walk. I like to go through a walk in the winter woods. It's really just a pretty place on a nice winter day. And I see this little creature. Mm. Like, I knew that I, I wasn't familiar with this one, right? It was like a possum with armor. <laughs> Creepy little guy. My wife had shared a little bit before that. It looked like a little dinosaur. She just caught a glimpse on the highway, like a little dinosaur on the highway. I was like, baby, come on, honey, come on. That's what, armadillos are here. They are. What's amazing, which is more evidence of global warming. <laughs> wow. How about that, huh? Yeah. 
So uh, here's the deal, Denise. I hadn't heard that about leprosy, uh, but I do know a lot of these ancient diseases that at one time we thought modern medicine had completely eliminated them. Guess what? All of a sudden, they're making a comeback. The bubonic plague, the Black Death, killed one-third of Europe in the 14th century. One out of three, just imagine. One out of three died from this disease, the bubonic plague. And it's isolated. There's isolated cases, but there's been isolated cases of the bubonic plague right here in our nation. Uh, everybody's, if you're watching the news, measles, all right, the outbreak of measles recently. Uh, and so, anyway, not trying to be morbid and, you know, put any fear in you. Hope you got your vaccinations. <laughs> uh, I actually get information from, from a ministry asking for donations from leprosy, and it's very real. Yeah. And the pictures look horrible. I mean, they're all twisted and uh -huh. hands and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it is. So it's, it's real. Yeah, it's real, and it's horrible. Of course, everyone knows Mother Teresa spent most of her life in the leper colonies of, uh, of India. Hey, that's my oldest son calling. Should I answer it? Huh? He lives in Austin. He just moved to Austin. He doesn't know I'm working. <laughs> oh, I'll call him back later. Um, if a priest would show signs of leprosy, the priest that people go to, did he go to another priest or higher up? Or, and it kind of parallels with a pastor having to go to another so, person. So, you know, there's... There's nowhere specifically in the text that says what a priest would do if a priest was suspected of having leprosy, but one could presume that he would follow the exact same steps as everybody else, that he would have, uh, probably go to the high priest, and the high priest would examine him, and then he'd go through the same steps of quarantine that everybody else would have too. Which is, a, I think, a great picture of what we have to do as a pastoral ministry. And here's the, re just, just, re just remember, put yourself in this mind's eye. And I think we should, guys. Um, you may not be a pastor, but you are a priest. You have a priestly ministry. This is not allegory, once again. Of course, there's been a lot of really bad teaching historically in church history on the priesthood of the believer. And the idea that only a certain few elite that went to preschool um, got to be a priest. And if you were smart enough and spiritual enough, and, and then the priest would tell everybody else what God says for them. And that's not at all what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches the priesthood of the believer. 1 Peter 2.5, 1 Peter 2.9. And so what that means is we all have a priestly ministry. And what that means is, listen... Um, we're not on a different level spiritually. You know, sometimes people will say, well, Pastor Phil, I need you to pray for me because, man, I got, I got a real problem. And I, I know that you're closer to God. Yeah, that's not true at all. My prayers don't reach God any quicker than yours does or the people in your small group. See, that, that's a church culture that we've identified as a pastoral staff that we really are going to work hard to overcome. The church culture... That says, if I have a real problem, normal people can't handle it. I need to call one of the paid professionals. I'm trying to tell you, if, if you're in a small group, if you're in community, guess what? There are people in your community that you're in community with. All the spiritual gifts exist right there. And what that means is we are a body of priests. And uh, they're not normal people either. They're spirit-filled. That makes you not normal. You have the Word of God, which means you have the wisdom of God. And uh, we need to retrain and rethink uh, how we view church. Because church culture historically is, if I have a real problem, I need to call paid professionals. Because uh, he's the pastor, all right? I want you to see that that is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said he hated. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, Nico, a Latin word, to conquer, Latins means laity, to conquer the laity. 
And that became the mentality that brought a thousand years of darkness into church history where there was now separation between the clergy and the laity. And the laity's down here and the clergy's up here. And the clergy will tell you what to think and tell you what God says because you can't possibly interpret the Word of God for you. And I want you to see that in some way that persists even today. And that's why I really want you to begin thinking in terms of, I, I'm a priest. I have the Spirit of God living within me. I have the Word of God in my hands and the Spirit of God in my heart. And, uh, and I have this, res this responsibility too, just like Pastor Phil, just like the rest of the staff does. And uh, that's, what it may that's what makes us a body. It's each of us understanding that I need to stand guard against this outbreak of leprosy. First in my own life, because um, I can't shepherd other people to health if I'm not healthy. Does that make sense? Uh, as, a, as a priest and a shepherd, you can't lead others if you're not leading yourself. Uh, you can't help other people get healthy if you're not yourself healthy. And so it begins with us personally. You know better than anybody what is going on beneath the surface of your life. Okay? Uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Nobody can do that for you. You've got to guard your heart personally. You're the only one that knows what's going on in here 24-7. And so it begins with self-policing. The moment you realize there's a, there's a little speck of something that shouldn't be there, and you deal with it quickly. All right, you quarantine it because eventually what is inwardly will begin to surface outwardly and it will make you unhealthy and it will absolutely jeopardize your priestly ministry. Does that make sense? All right. What else, anybody? Say again. Okay. The armadillos are legit. We have the evidence. Stay away from the armadillos. We are on the brink of the zombie apocalypse. Is that right? You're telling me. You're trying to warn me. I just go. Yeah. I'm waiting. I'll bail you out of jail. Okay, changing the subject just a little bit. The Bible tells us that in the end times, a lot of people are going to be blinded and deceived. A lot of people are what? Going to be blinded and deceived. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm seeing, and I'm sure you are too, yep. more and more and more these days. And it's really sad for me to it see is. that. It yes, really it is. is. You guys just love getting me back on Revelation, don't you? <laughs> you do. You love getting me back on prophecy. It doesn't take much, by the way. I was just standing here thinking as we're talking about these ancient diseases being reborn. Um, don't know this for sure, but I think if you study the revelations and you study the tribulation, you study the prophecies that's going to be going on in the, re in the revelation, for example, um, part of what you see I think, is a rebirth of these ancient diseases. Uh, if you listen to the medical community, there is a very serious fear about an outbreak, not just of these ancient diseases, but new diseases, new viruses that are evolving all the time for which there is no cure, there is no inoculation, there is no vaccine. And you hear about a new disease really all the time, don't you? Of, uh, you know, a few years ago, it was the bird virus. Uh, and then it was, uh, somebody, somebody tell me. Huh? 
the Zika virus. There you go. And this is like one thing after another that they've never seen before. It evolves quickly. There's no vaccine for it. Uh, and we've seen it sometime in, in history, really. I don't know if you guys uh, remember, besides what I just mentioned, for example, the bubonic plague of the Middle Ages. It killed a third of Europe. Uh, a lot of people don't remember just a hundred years ago, a pandemic of influenza that killed 30 million people worldwide. 30 million. And was spread throughout the world because of World War I. All of these soldiers started going home after the war, and guess what they took with them? Uh, and it became a pandemic, out of control. And so that is a real type of an end-time scenario that I think the Bible teaches. And, you know, as part of those, uh, those uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, right, uh, part of the, uh, the judgment or part of what happens is it says um, the wild animals will in some way be a part of that judgment. Now, what does that look like? Well, I don't know for sure. In my mind's eye, it, it kind of pictures like all of a sudden the wild animals start to turn on people. That'd make a good Hollywood movie, wouldn't it? But I, I think maybe the implication is more like these animals that carry diseases. Uh, you mentioned armadillos that carry life-threatening diseases to human beings. It was rats that was carrying the bubonic plague. And all of a sudden, these airborne diseases carried by animals begin to attack humans. And uh, I don't think the zombie apocalypse is a real possibility, but in some capacity, all of a sudden there's this unknown virus, this unknown disease that is attacking humans, and you can start to see why the Revelation prophesies a third of the human population during the tribulation dying. There's going to be a lot of reasons why, but famine and disease is one of them. Strong delusion, 2 Thessalonians 2, it is sad. Uh, and 2 Thessalonians 2 prophesies this strong delusion that God is going to send them. It says they will believe a lie because they believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And uh, the implication is that God is going to let them um, have this delusion, this distortion. It's going to cover their eyes of understanding, and they're going to embrace the Antichrist. Now, your point is a good one. I'm convinced we have a society in Western civilization. It's already under strong delusion. Guys, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Uh, we live at a time where people say you have to choose between loving people or standing for truth. It's one or the other. If you stand for truth, you don't love people. And that's just not true. All right, Jesus was a man full of grace and truth. It says it twice in the Gospels. If you're full of Jesus, you're going to be full of grace and truth. You're going to choose between do I stand for truth or love people. But I want you to see the strong delusion. We should absolutely unconditionally love members of the LGBT community. Absolutely. Uh, would Jesus love them? Absolutely. Does God love them? Absolutely. But I want you to see the delusion we're living in in our society right now. There's like 23 different gender possibilities you can choose from now. I'm serious about this. Almost two dozen gender, you just choose, choose, choose your gender. It's delusional. It's absolutely delusional, isn't it? It's an age where science no longer rules. Emotion overrules even science because you know your gender is not driven by your anatomy. Your gender is driven by your chromosomes. And you can change your anatomy, but you can't change your chromosomes. But we're living in a time of such delusion that for me to say that publicly, guess what most people would call me? You hater. You hater. You bigot. Yeah. Just for stating the obvious. They think I'm delusional. That's the world we live in. I tell my grown children, I, you know, guys, I tell you, I feel like I'm, I'm not an old man yet, though I'm older. I say things I never thought I would say, like, 
I never thought I'd live to see it in my lifetime. I mean, we are living to see things we never thought we'd see in our lifetime. And how quickly it's happened, just in really a decade of time. Are we living at a time of strong delusion? I think it's already here, don't you? Absolutely do. I could go on and on, but we'll stop right there. So guys, I love you a bunch. Leviticus 14 next time, and we will continue the study next time in leprosy, a study on sin. Let's stand guard as New Testament priests against an outbreak this week. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your constant mercy upon our lives. I pray your blessing will abound upon every person here this week. That, Lord, you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you help us to live in that power of the resurrection. That, Lord, we would stand for truth but do it with grace. In these closing moments of time, before we see you, and we know we're going to see you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.